This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. What I'm suggesting to teachers is that instead of thinking of STEM as, you know, we've got to teach students these four subjects and combine them as much as possible, the, po- the point there is not about the combination, it's about the um, opportunity for students to explore. That's Peter Dalmaris, reflecting on the need for students to explore, and my guest today on Central Station. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik. Peter Dalmaris is an online educator, engineer, and electronics hobbyist. In this second part of my conversation with Peter, we begin with the notion of students exploring when it comes to STEM and maker education. It's not so much about the combination of subjects, but exploring the possibilities of solving problems and making great projects. And we started this part of our conversation by considering how some of our greatest fiction writers have imagined what this might look like. So it's no surprise that Star Trek gets a mention. That's a whole new discussion, perhaps a whole new Sure. Podcast. Well, let's <laughs> let's go there briefly because you just mentioned the word the next generation. And off, off mic, uh, pr- prior to this interview, we did talk about Star Trek, the next generation. Uh, and I think some of our uh, fictional uh, creators have already started to wrestle with these questions. And I wonder sometimes, I mean, look, you know, I, I like tech just as much as the next person who likes tech, but sometimes... I just wonder, is this world just overly technological? Sometimes I just like to walk away from all of it. And our friends at Star Trek there have, you know, they, they explore new worlds and they go where no person has gone before. And they encounter worlds, planets, uh, civilizations, which have chosen to foster the arts as opposed to technology. Like they'll turn up at a planet which, you know, which is full of philosophers and poets and everything seems to be working just fine. People seem to be living life. And, you know, sure, they don't fly around the place at warp speed and maybe they don't just visit their relatives in another star system. But everything seems to be okay. Why did we go down the technological path? And can it be something else? Well, wow, that's a really good question. Um, okay, so I'm going, to, I'm going to inform myself from the Star Trek science fiction to answer this question. And I, I think we talked about that earlier as well. I encourage teachers to place select Star Trek episodes in the classrooms and have discussions about them. I think that's an excellent so, idea. <laughs> I think um, it's worth, um, it's worth, I guess, sacrificing one hour of history to play science fiction for the 24th century, right? <laughs> You're going to have some opposition there, I think. <laughs> remember, you can Google history. Um, <laughs> I've actually learned a lot more history by reading books in the last year than I've learned um, in my 12 years of school study and the curriculum. Um, but it's, a, again, different topic. So let's let's go to your question. So um, there is one episode in Star Trek Picard, which is one of the newer um, series of Star Trek, where um, the, the team goes to um, a planet where it resembles very much what you said, uh, Colin. It, it's like a civilization that looks from the outside. It looks like it's um, it's stuck in 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 time at a mm. time where you know they had wooden houses and uh, they used um, um, fire to heat themselves. And they had pat- veggie patches outside, yep. and and all that. Like, let's say medieval medieval Earth, right? 
it turns out that they had a very high-tech um, reactor that was providing <laughs> energy and protection from other species. And the Star Trek crew had actually, uh, the, the, I'm not good, I don't want to talk too much about this, but the point is that they were not really stuck. What they were stuck on was a, uh, a lifestyle, but they were using extremely high-tech in order to support that lifestyle mm. not to mention population control oh right yeah <laughs> of course like seriously um i don't see uh, just to go back to the, the roots of your question i don't see a way for humanity to not become a advanced human uh, advanced technological civilization unless it disappears because of an asteroid impact or global war or a pandemic um the, i think it's it's a one-way road our technology has to become better and uh, it has to become even more widespread than it is now because it is the only way for our species to survive. I don't see a global agreement uh, for our civilization to stay where we are now. It's not possible to go back without war, uh, without a total destruction, global scale destruction. We can't go back, even if we say, let's stop here for a moment or for like the next 300 years. Um, uh, I don't see that everyone's going to agree to that. <laughs> right? There's many reasons. So we can't stop. That's a point. So um, now I think uh, the other part of your question uh, was, okay, where, whether it's an overly technological world, uh, I think it's not overly technological yet. Um, oh, yes, really? Not not yet. Oh, like, wow. There are, okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you, you can go in the outback of Australia and in, you're not connected to a network, you, you'll be fine. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Can you tell me where that is? I want to go there. <laughs> uh, where was like, I'll send you like, uh, I was traveling recently to Queensland and there are uh, patches along the, the freeway up there where you know, reception is pretty bad and the kids were upset. I can't get <laughs> such video stream. <laughs> it's buffering for too long. Um, anyway, so it is possible. Now, uh, how long it's going to last? Uh, I don't know. Now, uh, here's the thing. Is that, a, is that good or bad? And uh, I don't like using words like that because I don't really know what they mean. Well, I guess none of us can really, none of us can really know because one, you know, I, I wanted to also ask, what if STEM's not my thing? You know, mm -hmm. what what if the only thing that makes me, let's go back to the music thing, right? Let's say sure. that I want to be a concert violinist. What if that's really the only thing that I want to do? And I just, music is my focus. And sure, there are technological advances that can help music students and can and, and have done enormously wonderful things for the production of music, etc. But sometimes, you know, I've, I've been to uh, performances by the Australian Chamber Orchestra in Sydney where there was virtually no technology involved, uh, barely a microphone on the stage, and yet thousands of people utterly captivated by what they were seeing. Now, what if I was the person on that stage producing that music? And that's the only thing that I wanted to know about. Can I live my life successfully without an exposure to STEM? Or is the, can I just not escape it? Um, it? It's always possible. Like Again, I say that the society that we live in is extremely complex and there are always niches that are uh, possible to, you know, provide the opportunity for people to live in almost any any way that they want, including uh, in conditions that were available to us in the 15th and 16th century. Uh, so I, I can't say no, but uh, it's I will say that it's extremely unlikely that you'll be able to live a fulfilling life 
Now, fulfilling is, is a word that I use to say a, a life that I'm happy with, mm. right? And that my, um, my social circle is also happy with because we don't live in isolation. So while it is possible to just say, I'm just going to live a life with zero technology, it is very unlikely. I'll say that the, the concert that you went to uh, to, to, that you attended um, may not have had any apparent technology on stage. Ah, the hidden technology. But, <laughs> but, uh, but it was supported by uh, a lot of technology. Just a booking system. I guess you yeah, didn't just sure. show up. You used yeah. a booking system. Yeah. Um, the, all of the musicians probably have uh, e-banking and credit cards and mobile <laughs> yeah. phones in the pockets. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, it happens. Like, um, I decided to explore my guitar again my kids got a guitar and then i thought hey, maybe, maybe it's about time for me to to play guitar so i didn't uh, look up a human teacher there are um, applications that actually listen to me playing the guitar and then on the ipad screen it's showing me whether i hit the wrong um mm. string and how to can how to fix it and that in real time, it gives me feedback on my timing and how I'm playing the notes. This is an artificial intelligence teacher now, right? And I guess any, any child today that wants to perform music at the top level will need to be using technology of some sort to complement the teacher. So again, I, I don't think it is likely that at least at the top level of human performance, you'll be able to avoid using mm. technology you will have no choice but to use it and uh, and just to conclude with this question i would say that um just like up to the 20th century it was possible to live a life that was fulfilled by knowing how to read and write you know my grandfather lived a happy life he finished i think uh, third year of elementary school he was able to read and write but he would not live a fulfilled life in the 21st or mm. 22nd century because those skills are just insufficient like being a citizen for example if everything is online and you only are able to read and write can you use a computer how are you going to get the the news yeah sure how can you choose the source how can you assess that the source is good enough so there's that needs that needs to be some kind of um, effort from teachers and from parents actually especially inside the house to help uh, students, uh, help uh, people, mm. um, or the future citizens, I guess, um, to be able to use technology, not necessarily dominate their lives, but they need to be technologically literate to be yes, able I, to have a fulfilling life. I think you've defended that very well, and I think the struggle is just an indicator of my own existential frustration and and pondering <laughs> something that There's I'm going no to have to. <laughs> <laughs> so we we said at the beginning that STEM is not just a curriculum. Do you think that there's a risk of having uh, created uh, some kind of a, a silo problem by formalizing it as a curriculum? I mean, let me ask it to you this way, because talking about silos is a very popular thing to do. Let's rephrase it. Did we just bypass or miss out on an opportunity to talk about a thing without making it into a curriculum? Like, um, is it possible to talk about maths at a really crazy high level at school without having to call it something like maths extension two or three? You know, can we do that STEM things with, with? Can we do STEM things without having to say that we've had to formalize a STEM curriculum? Yeah. Um, uh, yes, I don't see why not. Like. Uh, to, to tackle this one, I would say, first of all, that in a way, 
talk about STEM education reminds me of subjects of the 20th century, just more of them. So now we had the math silo in the 20th century. Now we have math uh, alongside a couple of other things, a couple of other subjects. So STEM is now the subject. And uh, if you do a Google search online, you'll find STEM curricula, mm. not just mathematics curricula. You've got STEM curricula. Now you've got math, and then you've got, say, programming in there, this, the technology part where you apply the math in a computer program. So, yes, we do have a new type of silo. Uh, and again, that is not a bad thing necessarily. It's part of the evolution of education. Uh, Whoever is in charge of the various education systems in any country, top down, bottom up, they are suspecting that things are changing, that uh, we need to intervene in the way that we are teaching our students because our society and technology is changing. But we are in a way grounded to the things that we are already familiar with from 20th century education. So back then we had subjects, now we've got subjects again, but it's just that these subjects are kind of different. And because we don't want to be reinventing the wheel constantly, we just bundle them together. And uh, we've got like a, a soup of subjects called <laughs> STEM, right? But again, I think it's just a necessary step of our evolution as educators and as education system to the next step where we're going to say, you know, this can't keep happening. The yeah. word for the acronym STEM gets getting bigger and bigger and bigger as we're sure. introducing more subjects. It's time to just let it go and call it all project-based <laughs> education or just you know just call it education where um, instead of treating no human knowledge as a collection of siloed individual components of knowledge let's call it human knowledge you know, i can say education is a at least uh, i actually came up with another definition of what education is but let's say that education is um a lifelong mm. pursuit for all of us to in to achieve a number of things, uh, those could be technical things, like I want to get a better job, for example, make a living, have a house with a pool. Um, it could be as existential as I want to find my uh, my spot in the world. Mm. And even deeper, I, I want to find out who I am. Oh, dear. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and like, uh, what am I doing here? And again, this is something necessary as we getting into a world where uh, Artificial intelligence is starting is starting to question what the hell are humans supposed to be doing here? Yeah. <laughs> what what are you to do? Like it's crazy. You talked about music earlier. Um, there's someone who has uh, a researcher who has created artificial intelligence that builds original music to a Beethoven level. So they put other musicians, accomplished musicians, to try and discern which piece of music was created by Beethoven and which one was created by the artificial intelligence. And the results are just pure chance, 50-50. They wow. get it half the time. Oh, dear. Which means that the artificial <laughs> intelligence has taken over something that was uniquely human, like not yeah. talk about chess, for example, or other types of games, strategy games that required some kind of human spontaneity. Um, so we are going to have to figure out what it means to be human. And I can't see how else we could do that without lifelong education, not about subjects, but really exploration of ourselves and our world um, and our world and our place in I, the world. I can just see your school uh, being developed now where STEM is a mandatory subject and the mandatory prerequisite for that mandatory subject is philosophy 101 and philosophy 102. You can't come into STEM unless you've done those two subjects first. You, you know what I would do? I 
I would just say, come in for a STEM curriculum. I've got the best STEM curriculum <laughs> on the planet. Uh, but that would be just the um, just a, a, a pretended curriculum. <laughs> uh, there's actually we don't do any STEM here at all. We just do projects. Yeah, we just make we just stuff. Let, yeah, yeah, we just uh, make projects that have meaning for ourselves, and uh, we we use projects as an excuse to explore. So coming now to uh, just a, a practical issue here, and I and I, I think we'll finish with this uh, with this concept. How do you then help people do that at schools? <laughs> well, I've, I've got to say that my my I've, I've got my own online school. What I can uh, do if anyone is interested is to have a chat and explore <laughs> what your uh, I guess STEM difficulties are. We talked about some of them a bit earlier, and I'm happy to have similar discussions with anyone who wants to talk to me. Um, I am not a STEM consultant for schools. I'm an educator. I'm happy to share my experiences uh, and I guess my my methods and my approaches to education with anyone who's interested. And I think that's that's what I can offer. Have you found that network to be growing over the years? Do you find that there's a, a, a growing interest in this in this way of thinking, if I can put it that way? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, across the world, I've seen that are growing. Um, I've done a STEM. Um, I called it a, a STEM education uh, summit uh, earlier last year, 2021. As part of, sorry, 2020. <laughs> as a response to the pandemic, and uh, we had um, people from all around the world. Uh, that's educators and teachers from all around the world who were exchanging ideas. Now, I don't think I'd be able to do something like that three or four years ago, but it's something that you know it's at the forefront of. Uh, teachers um, attention right now so yes I think it is something that is growing and uh, I think that it is in the right direction uh, the first step to, to dealing with big change whether it is climate change or education change is to identify that there is a need for that uh, for, for there is a need for change and then for people to start digging and exploring and eventually they will find the right way forward. Well, it's been a real inspiration and also very entertaining to talk with you this morning, Peter. Thank you so much. Thank you, Colin. Sounds like a very interesting future indeed. You've been listening to Central Station. If you've enjoyed this story and would like to know more about Peter's work in maker education and STEM, then check out the links in the description for this episode. And you'll find details on how to get in touch with Peter there as well. I'm sure he'd welcome questions from anyone interested in getting a maker education or STEM program up and running in their school. If you'd like to hear more insight and great stories from other inspiring educators, make sure you subscribe to Central Station on your favourite podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Central. To find out more, visit the website, central.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Thanks for listening.